0: Yeah! You
1: know something, you bitch? I think this just might be my masterpiece.
2: something spoiler man. i think this just might be quentin tarantino's masterpiece this is spoilers. hello everyone i do think that last scene in the movie is basically quentin talking to himself but let's jump into spoilers podcast you're here to hear us talk about the movie a way to jump right into the movie i think today is to just make this so the opening question is about the movie So, Pappy, you're going to go first, and let's say you were signed on as an editor for Inglorious Bastards, right? Mm Mm-hmm. What scene would you
3: shorten or lengthen? Tough question. This is Pappy, recording from Louisville, Colorado, tonight. The scene I would shorten or lengthen, I guess I would go with, there's a character named Sergeant Hugo Stieglitz, uh, <laughs> I would like to see his full-on backstory a little bit. I think it might be to the detriment of the film, but regardless, I would like to see, like there's like one little scene where he's getting uh, tortured when they're in the uh, tavern. I just want to know a little bit more about him. He
4: seems like a really interesting character. Yeah, till Schwager, I love him. He's a good actor.
2: I really want to get to our special guest quick here. And Pappy, you invited him on, so I'll let you do the introducing here if you don't mind. But it's
3: Jesse from the F- Junk Filter podcast. Hi, guys. I slid into your uh, DM. Well, it's funny because I you're one of my favorite people on film Twitter. You have some of the funniest tweets around. I started listening to your podcast from that. Uh, I actually went to your page twice to invite you on spoilers, but your DMs weren't open. And then you tweeted out, uh, someone invite me on your podcast. And so I jumped on that right away. So I hope I wasn't too, too intrusive, but we're all
5: very happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was Kismet. Uh, I have my DM set to th- that you can only DM me if we follow each other, just to keep the abuse from coming in uh, from some of my more incendiary tweets. But uh, yeah, it was kismet because I sent out a message that I would love to be a guest on someone's podcast at the very moment you were looking around and you found me. Meant to be.
6: This is adorable. <laughs> but Jesse, I want, to yeah,
7: extend, I want to
2: extend that same question to you, Jesse. If you were the edit, if you were signed on as an editor here, which scene
5: would you shorten or lengthen? I think I would lengthen the last few minutes of the movie. I know that it's the big chaotic finale with the uh, destruction and the vengeance and then the aftermath. But it felt re- a little too short, considering everything else hmm. that had played out. It felt like it resolved itself in the matter of minutes. And I would have liked a little bit more of um, breathing room on that. Stevie, I have you up next in my
2: order here that Pappy gave me earlier. It's a little sneak peek of an order that our trivia is going to go in, if people are paying attention to oh that. Oh, boy. But Stevie, you're up next. Uh, where
1: are you recording out of, and which scene would you lengthen or shorten? Uh, this is Stevie recording from Elkhart, Indiana. And if I were to lengthen one scene, especially a sequence, it would be the intro, which is you know 1944 France at what's his name, the French farmer's house, La Petite.
8: La Petite.
1: Yeah, that's a like a it's tw- like a 21-minute like segment and sequence, and that to me is so good. I think that could easily be a movie or at least an hour long. Uh, that's the one I would probably lengthen.
2: Brett, you're up next and we got a lot of lengthens here you got a shortening for us or are you going with lengthen uh,
4: I don't know if I'd pick e- this is Brett recording out of Fort Wayne Indiana god every scene was so intense um man uh, maybe cut out a little bit of the uh god everything happened for a reason though in the in the under the basement bar scene uh maybe like I got nothing man I, I thought it was all pretty good uh, maybe <laughs> maybe add like Uh, the end scene maybe a little bit longer with them mowing people down one of the Um,
2: few times I give the question in advance and still slip 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 sliding away on this one (laughs) Brad I I love it I I think what you're right I mean this is a well-timed movie I don't think there's much there to edit Uh,
6: Corey what about you
0: Hi
6: this is Corey Kylo Ren memes I got to go with length in, okay? So there's a quick thing that happens in this movie and it's near the end, very famously, um Hitler gets blown away with a submachine gun. And one of the uh cuts to him getting blown away is like this dummy with like this rubber skin just getting shredded. <laughs> I say just hang on mm-hmm. that for like a few more seconds. Yeah. Like it's pretty like it's pretty gross out and insane, but like you kind of want to see it, you know, like <laughs> in the context of this movie. Uh, but one other, actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the Brett I got, one other, the Bear Jew. I wanted to see more of him specifically wearing a bear costume, running up and punching <laughs> random women in the face. What? Oh, like the Wicker Man? Yes, like the Wicker Man. Thank you, Jesse.
8: <laughs> Mikey, close us out here. Oh man, Uh, I I really think uh, Stevie, Brett, and Corey bring up really good points. I could see more of the intro scene for sure. I think that makes an incredible intro to this movie. It's just so great. And I could definitely agree with Brett that it's already perfect the way it is. It doesn't need any cuts or any any edits. And Cory, I do want to see that Hitler getting blasted in the face (laughs) uh, extendo scene. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That'd be pretty cool too. Um, so I'd have to agree with all three of those opinions. Okay, and this is Josh from
2: Goshen. Uh, I'm your host tonight. The reason I'm host is because I won the last movie game we did. So we do trivia at the end of a, at the end of the episode. I kind of mentioned that earlier, and I won the last one. And so I chose Inglorious Bastards. And if I were to edit a scene, I'll do a shortened one since no one's done a shortened. Um, I wasn't a big fan of the scene and the with the veterinarian and like Brad Pitt sticking his finger in the actress's leg uh, I thought it was I really didn't like it when she's like over explaining the german way versus the american way of displaying 3 on your hands I thought it was just like a little yes. too much maybe so maybe I would just cut a little bit of that but the funny thing about that is that If you read the uh, full original script, there is actually a lot from that scene already cut. So it seems like he kind of had that same idea too. But anyway, let's get into the movie. Jesse, you weren't here. We just recorded on Kill Bill recently. And we talked a lot about how the opening scene's tension kind of informs a lot of maybe the way we watch the movie and we think it's a strength, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? And maybe you can start us into this opening scene too.
5: Yes. Um, I mean, the film is broken up into five chapters and each chapter has some kind of negotiation sequence. And I, I, I found it very interesting that the film is constantly ratcheting up tension and releasing it. And then putting you back into this uh ratcheting of tension by the end the catharsis is like a spectacular catharsis because of how your brain's been conditioned
3: even within this opening scene tarantino holds off on showing us the family beneath the floorboards right like it would have been very easy to establish them running into the you know running under the house or hiding under the house or they see the nazis coming and then they run under but it's he lets the scene build for quite a bit of time before it pans down and shows the the family down there
5: yeah at first I was confused because I thought maybe the um the farmer's family were the 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 Dreyfus family pretending to be the the Lafitte family so I did not expect there to be an entire family in the basement when the camera pans down to reveal uh in the cellar
6: the I guess about five people I think that information is like given at a really good time, right? Because it's already really tense. Just like getting like shaken down by like Nazis, I'm sure is like tense enough. Every time it happens in this movie, people are like really on edge and freaked out. But the fact that they're also harboring Jews is like, I don't know, it's just like the icing on the cake at the moment you get that info.
3: It's so much of this movie comes down to language and spoken word in the different languages but I, I don't know this actor's name It's Dennis Menoche. is that how you would say it his eyes do so much acting in this scene he looks so tired of the constant stress and I think it's one of the best physical performances of the whole movie he just has this yeah. look about him that's sad but also like I said exhausted at the same time
5: I read that that was uh, a part that was written for Jean Renault, but he turned it down.
4: Is that the guy from Leon? Yeah, yeah, uh,
5: yeah. He's very physically the same, like that big. Looks a lot like a French very, guy. Very yeah. much yeah. like him. He's like a. It was almost like the CGI Irishman effect to make Jean Reno, you
8: know, forty-year-old farmer instead of a sixty-five-year-old farmer. Hmm. I like his whole routine that they have in case a Nazi squad does show up like he his whole family like just went into like a certain mode to get ready to host these sick freaks or whatever yeah stevie
3: you called me uh earlier this afternoon and you you were comparing the busting out of christoph waltz sherlock holmes pipe to when samuel jackson chugs the sprite in pulp fiction it's kind of just this ominous sign of dominance in in a conversation
1: I think the first time I ever watched Pulp Fiction was with you and you had already seen it. I think we we're like thirteen or fourteen. And when Samuel uh chugs that sprite, I remember looking at you going, They're all gonna die, aren't they? Yeah. And sure enough that happens. And I never like saw a trailer for this movie, so I went in very blind. And when I was watching this, the moment you know he pulls that thing out, it's like, Oh, that's that's Sprite. I mean, that's nineteen forty Sprite right there. People are gonna <laughs> die very soon. <laughs>
7: Just to give you an idea, um, in the script, uh, in the opening scene, when he's in- interrogating this French farmer, it's the French farmer takes right, out a pipe right. and starts smoking right. it. And at some point, Londa says, hey, can I take out my pipe? And he goes, yes. And he pulls out this big, giant calabash, you know, which is the pipe that Sherlock Holmes smokes. And, uh, and it's a very funny moment in the, in when it happens. And, and he drinks milk. Uh, yeah, and he drinks the, the farmer's, he's a dairy farmer, so he drinks mm-hmm. his milk as opposed to wine. But he has this pipe. And uh, so I wrote that in the script, and then I actually had a couple of more moments where I had Londa take out the pipe and like you know smoke and think, and so it was obviously it was Londa's pipe. But uh, I started thinking about it more and more as pre-production was going on, and I had dinner with Kristoff, and I asked him, I go, let me ask you a question. In the script, is you know it it implies that this is definitely Londa's pipe, and he uses it to think. Uh, But let me ask you a question: What if Londa doesn't smoke a pipe? He knows the farmer smokes a pipe. And so at a certain point he brings out this pipe. And what pipe does he bring out? He brings out the Sherlock Holmes pipe. One you can say it's a sexual thing because my pipe's bigger than yours. All right. And the other thing, you can say, I know you're lying and I got you. I've got the Sherlock Holmes pipe. You know, so maybe he doesn't smoke a pipe at all. It's simply just an interrogation technique to throw the farmer uh you know, send him more to hell. And I so what do you think, Christoph? He goes, Oh, he doesn't smoke a pipe at all. It is simply an act of theater. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, Jesse, you mentioned how each how there's like five negotiations in this movie is tobacco
5: one of the signature things you'll see in those? Yeah, I believe you're right. I think there is um cigarettes involved in every single negotiation, and in the fifth one, it's the cigarette itself that starts the fire.
2: I wonder if there's something too if you watch really closely to like who's lighting their cigarette first and who. I don't know, who blows smoke where. I bet there's secret Tarantino meanings to all that stuff.
5: <laughs> the Christoph Waltz uh, performance that, I mean, at the time I saw the movie, I didn't know who he was. And things re- I started going, okay, this is going to be good when Waltz, after several minutes of speaking in French, says that we're going to switch into English. After confirming that the family that he suspects are in the house and his own, the farmer's family don't speak English that was when the white knuckling began for me in that scene.
8: Yeah. I like how meticulous he is during that whole process. He's very scary.
3: Nazis known for their meticulousness. Uh, I was listening to the Charlie, Ro- a Charlie Rose interview with Quentin Tarantino, which is funny. Cause I mentioned that on kill bill. And at the when at the time when he was interviewing for kill bill, he was talking about the script he was working on in glorious bastards. But he was saying that, um, he was willing to totally scrap the movie if he couldn't find the right Christoph Waltz character. And then he had to search high and low. And and it was basically down to the last four days before some of the financing came in. And it was like a do or die time. And Brett, we talk about the Oscars a lot. I just, I love this kind of story so much more than the career achievement or makeup Oscar, right? Someone just coming out of
4: nowhere and like
3: having an all-time performance and getting rewarded for it.
4: When you think of uh, Christoph Waltz, what he did with the you know uh this one and then a few years later with Django it mirrors a lot to me what Mahershala Ali did uh just came in with two iconic characters in a you know a couple off years and just had just amazing performances and because of these smaller roles just become household names and man just he's so unbelievable in this movie he's, he he literally thinks of everything until the end when he lets well, you know we'll get we'll get there but one little mistake he he could have made a little extra caveat that could have made his life a little better, but he missed it, which he just doesn't miss anything the whole movie. So, yeah, it's it's amazing. It's a lot better than uh, some of the stuff we've seen. I mean, like Gary Oldman's had better performances, but, you know, you got to give him one at some point. So,
2: Is that I'm caveat that he doesn't anticipate Americans will just give a chewing out instead of, like, shooting their soldiers for, like, yeah. minor things?
6: <laughs> I've been
2: chewed
4: out before. That or, you know, just put it down in writing like guarantee that he'll have safe travel uh, and won't be uh, sorry the word but this would be the word they would use like unmolested you know in his travels to America and he didn't do that like again yeah maybe they it's hard to say the Nazis had a better code uh, of conduct but maybe he just assumed that someone who was as high ranking as Brad Pitt's character um, would respect
2: be by the book yeah
4: but it wasn't They definitely did not do a bingo on him.
5: One thing I can say, too, about the vaults character is I believe that at some point he even says that uh, he got into the Nazi party, not for ideological reasons, but for opportunistic reasons. Right. Like he's a sociopath. And in Nazi Germany, a sociopath could do very well for themselves. Like they could move up the ranks, they could become a, in a position of power and issuing life and death uh, power. Um, so he's kind of like, uh, you know, of all things that he reminded me of uh, when I was watching the movie was the Denzel character in Training Day. Yes, just has has mapped everything out. If this goes wrong, then this comes, then this gameplay comes into effect, or um, the way that. Um, Vaults very quickly uh, comes up with an exit strategy for the end of World War II. Like, I don't know whether or not he's <laughs> such a brilliant thinker that he came up with that on the spot when he realized that we're now in a situation where, like, Hitler could get blown up. It's like, you know what? I could get out of World War II unscathed if I help set it up, since it's going to happen.
3: And you even like get a it's. House in Nantucket from it. Place yeah. It. <laughs> but, but
5: the way that, like, in training day, Denzel has, like, Mapped everything out three moves ahead, and suddenly any new obstacle comes up with a solution. And like vaults in in Bastards, Denzel screws up at the end, but for almost the entire movie, he's in charge.
3: He also kind of screws up at the beginning, though, too, right? Because he lets Shoshana escape, and I mean, he pretty much has her at point blank, and he has a, a whole little regimen with him or whatever. Like, is there a rationale that he lets? Her escape, and he just says "Au revoir, Shoshana, which kind of like rhymes slightly. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. But like, why? Why? Stevie question, maybe.
1: The only thing I can really think of, besides for you know movie plot purposes, his is... his reputation to so let it. Well, no, Jesse's correct. He is a sociopath, and my opinion, you know, he revels in his ni- nickname as the Jew Hunter. Part of me like wants to think that one of the reasons why he let her go is, yeah, that's a really far shot, but also he's probably obsessed with the chase and the hunting himself yeah Yeah. that's what i was thinking Mm -hmm. i think he's very obsessive with that and you know part of me just thinks you know till we meet again and i you know we fast forward you know so many years you know from this point on after the massacre he probably never stopped hunting from then on so i think he's just obsessed with the chase
8: do you guys think that he recognized her in the restaurant because he was making a lot of dairy references and i
4: i don't think he recognized her but yeah he did make a lot of the cream yeah it's you know that's a good point but i never thought he recognized her but
5: i took that as tarantino toying with us Definitely. i took that as this is his mo this is what he does to people like he's done the milk thing to a lot <laughs> of his victims could this have been the earliest seeds of landa maybe planning
2: his world war II end plan because if all of a sudden he has dirt on the cinema owner who's about to host a Mm -hmm. huge nazi party maybe he can use that information in the future like she's not going anywhere right if he doesn't if Mm. he pretends that he doesn't know her she'll feel safer i don't know
5: before we get too far away from the beginning i want to Give a shout out to Leah Seydoux. I did not know who she was when I first saw the movie, but this time when I watched Bastards again for the first time in 11 years, I was like, hey, one of the daughters is Leah Seydoux. How did Tarantino know to put her in a movie? Because she became a pretty big big enough mm-hmm. star after that.
6: The Bond movies, right? Yeah.
5: And Blue is the Warmest Color, which won at Cannes.
4: That's, uh, that's uh, interesting. I've
5: Maybe. seen scenes. Me too. I
4: haven't seen the whole movie. <laughs> It's oh, funny yeah, you mention that though,
2: Jesse, because a couple of weeks ago when we were planning this pod, Stevie texted me on the side and he was like, I'm really worried about the Bastards pod getting out of control because it's such a huge, sprawling plot. So I was thinking like the first thing we could do after talking about the tents open is Mikey, why don't you run us through the Romeo and Juliet story of this movie? Like who are the main romantic Question mark? <laughs> what is that whole plot about?
8: Uh, yeah. So it's kind of a one-sided romantic uh, situation yes. we have here. Uh, Daniel Bruhl plays. I, I don't know his rank, but his name is Frederick Zoller. Brett, do you remember his rank? Brett's boy. He's a Baron.
4: Low private. Private. Yeah.
8: He's oh, like really? a private. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, he has a bunch of medals now or something. He's like a hero, a national hero, because he killed a bunch of men in a town square or something he's but... the chris kyle of nazi germany oh my <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a plastic baby in the in the bird's nest he's sniping people and he's like infatuated with Shoshana, and she's like putting up the marquee at her theater and he's like super interested in the venue and trying to chat her up about like german directors and stuff like that but she doesn't want any part of it because he's dressed in his nazi garb and she obviously has a grudge against the Nazis uh, because her family was murdered. and But he's a nice uh, Nazi.
6: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's like, I'm maybe yeah, a Nazi, different. but I'm not so bad. you know. He's built different. I'm not
3: like
1: the others. I like the kid, Charlie Chaplin, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> he's not, I don't know. It's kind of on the fence though, right? Because I remember the first time seeing this thinking that there might be hope for him to some extent because like Mm. you see him have like moments of ptsd he doesn't seem to necessarily always revel in the attention that he gets from killing all those people but he's not quite chivalrous either i mean obviously being a nazi aside like she obviously has no doesn't want any part of him and he's like what's your name and she has to like show him her papers and you know if there was any kind of like from romantic relationship or friendship he wouldn't like insist on seeing her papers right so it's still that kind of weird power dynamic between them which is like you know plays out at the end too he's like i'm not the kind of guy you say no to so he's i don't know i he plays it so well because there's a certain amount of sympathy i do garner for him even knowing you know where his character goes isn't there a scene where he
2: shoves her or lays hands on her in some way
3: I thought that was at the end. Towards
5: the end,
2: end. he kind of forces himself in that door. Um, That's not that cool, but I don't know. What do you think, Jesse? Do you want to like what? What's the end result of this one-sided romance? Like Mikey put it.
5: I thought that the Daniel Bruhl character was a paragon of sort of male entitlement. The way that uh, he was a nice guy. Uh, who was in the movies also, and was very charming to Shoshana. But then all of a sudden, he, when she puts a wall up, he says, "You don't talk to anyone like me, like that, or whatever." Like you know, he he has this, which is the kind of shit that Harvey Weinstein used to do to to people. And and that so I, that was that hit differently because I didn't really make the connection of it in 2009 but now it feels like uh i don't know whether or not like tarantino wrote that with harvey weinstein in mind but it plays that way now well with all that in to mind happy
2: do you like the end result of seemingly Shoshana shooting him to death and then him rolling over when she finally kind of shows sympathy <laughs> f- towards oh
3: him God brutal i mean do i like it it's hard I, it's hard that shoshana doesn't get to see the fruits of her labor right like she dies before she even gets to her scene comes up in the real so that's I, it's really disappointing in terms of like the aesthetics of it i mean i like it i love the the red kind of explosion when he does shoot her it looks really great in the slow motion but it's hard man it's and it's sad too because you know shoshana has no reason to have any sympathy for any nazi on the face of this earth right the nazis killed her family nazis are the reason she lives in fear nazis are you know why she's having to burn this huge collection of film that she has in order to murder him in this likely suicide mission and she still has like a little bit of sympathy for this guy for for one reason or another and it doesn't it doesn't pay off and i I like though that tarantino doesn't really give us any nazis to root for right like there's all the nazis are kind of even if they do have this code of war ethics, or however we put it earlier, they're they're all kind of... They're they're all evil, you know, essentially. And they all get their comeuppance one way or another. And I I do appreciate that. But, man, I feel bad for Shosh. A lot of
2: comeuppance in this movie. Stevie, when's the last time you've seen this much slow motion, though, when these fellers die in the projection room?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Probably Snyder Cut. Yeah, It's got to be every other scene in Snyder Cut. But, I mean... Daniel Brühl's character, uh, Private Solar, seems very on the surface. But it almost makes sense for him to charge and bust open the door and kind of yell at Shoshana like that near the very end. Because you think about it, they kind of allude to it. When this guy entered the military or was enlisted, either one very shy dude, couldn't talk that great, stumbled over his words. And, you know, he really became loved through killing people. You know, he was a nobody, and through his exploits of killing 160-some-odd people, you know, he became a celebrity and loved overnight. You know, he's rubbing elbows with some of the most powerful people in Germany. And so, you know, for him to get mad during that movie, it's almost like kind of a cry saying, like, you know, look what I've done, look what I've done. This is my worth. Why don't you love me like everybody else does? So that's how the character kind of came across to me.
5: This part in Inglorious Passages I thought, was brilliant. The idea of the, the Romeo and Juliet couple, the fucked up, uh, you know, the the Jew and the Nazi. And at, you have to also think about it this way, that she kills him, but then he's mortally wounded and he kills her. But she kills him while he's on screen in a movie theater where he's going to be alive. I mean, as long as the movie's playing, he's alive. And then she dies and then she comes on the screen and announces her plan to just destroy the nazis. So they're both dead, but they're alive in the movie and the movie is where they're going to actually change the course of history.
3: I was going to ask you this, Jesse, especially after listening to your Once Upon a Time in Hollywood episode on the Junk Filter podcast. Uh does is this the is Quentin Tarantino the first person to really use the subversion of history as a plot point because brett and i have talked quite a bit before in the past where you know we don't really take points quote unquote points off of movies if they don't if they aren't historically accurate accurate. yeah we we don't really hold them to that standard but is this really sort of the first time where a movie is reveling in how not historically accurate it is
5: I mean, I'm sure it's happened before. There's an Alex Cox movie actually called Walker, which was made in 1987 with Ed Harris as William Walker, who was like the first quote unquote governor of Nicaragua when it was a U.S. protectorate. All throughout the movie, it it keeps introducing anachronisms that are deliberate anachronisms like about the 1980s, like all of a sudden there are cars and people are on their cell phones and stuff like that, even though the movie is firmly set in the 1800s. Um, and it's sort of like it plays around with history. And I don't know whether Tarantino's the first person to do it, but I have to give him credit that he's done it three times successfully. Like Inglorious Bastards, I think, was a movie that was ahead of its time in terms of what an audience could accept of what they're being shown. And by now, we're used to that kind of like playing around with history. But in 2009, it seemed offensive and horrible and or people saying that it was not right for the jews to be portrayed as violent savage killers even though their targets were even worse in real life and did it did it to them
3: Eli Roth called it uh, kosher porn, the ending. Which I thought was a funny <laughs> funny term for it. I think that
2: does a good job of kind of wrapping up the Shoshana Zoller plot somewhere and all that. Um, let's rewind though because I do want to get to some hardcore World War II stuff. Brett, I know you're a fan of this war. You know a lot about it. Um, can you be the one to introduce us to the <laughs> bastards and kind of what they're all about, even maybe that opening scene with
4: okay, them. Okay, I wasn't. I'm not a fan of the war. I'm a fan of learning about the history <laughs> of I war. Know. just to clarify. Big WW2 guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the Bastards are um, a, a group of people. They're. I don't know. I think they were formed with like a secret forces, secret service type thing, um, led by uh, I don't know Brad Pitt's character, who's part engine or whatever he says. So, but he actually wants to get Jewish American soldiers to be part of them. They're just kind of like a, I don't know, they do more like guerrilla warfare, kind of sneak up on people and they scalp people and kill them and they don't really let people go. Um, maybe one person per group that they kill, they let live, but they uh, mark them. You know, you, you could be a, you could hide in plain sight. If you are Nazi, um, but they don't let them do that because they carve a swastika in their forehead. So I know it's just a really cool thing. It's uh, it's surprising because it's not like a huge part of like the first act or two acts, but it's really big at the end. So like someone said earlier, they just they terrify the Nazis.
3: It's interesting the way that Tarantino lays out the story of the bastards, right? Because it starts with chapter two, the inglorious bastards. And you basically see the, like the regiment or the team forming and Brad Pitt's like, okay, there's an armada coming. Like D day is about to happen. Sort of like, you know, rallying the troops, getting them excited for like the mission. They're about to happen. We never actually see the bastards being badasses in person. Right. It's it's, it's like the secondhand. Well, it's a hand flashback, right? It's told by the guy who's in Hitler's office. So it's mm-hmm. like, it goes yes. from their intro to the, an aftermath or right or like they've already sort of come to prominence in in europe at this point this is the inglorious bastards themselves this
2: group of american soldiers is like probably the biggest reason why i chose the movie i i want to get into more of some of these like characters because i think there's i mean bj novak the office is one of these dudes (laughs) like
5: (laughs) you know i really wish that tarantino had gotten his first choice to play the bear jew who was adam sandler (laughs)
6: <laughs> I'm the bear Jew to doo. <laughs> doo
8: that would be terrifying coming out of the tunnel he would have fucking oh can you imagine Adam Sandler
5: yeah coming out of the tunnel in an undershirt and just braining a guy uh, just jacked
8: incredibly baggy shorts <laughs>
6: <Yeah>. <laughs> Hawaiian shirt you guys were talking about Christoph Waltz's character and describing him as a sociopath What does that make Lieutenant Aldo Rain? Because he's a pretty sick fuck, too, but he is on the heroic side, right? He's killing Nazis. He's a sadist for sure. Nah, he's cool. He's our sociopath.
5: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's a good guy. It takes a sociopath to beat a sociopath, you know? Um, You know what's funny about Aldo Rain? Uh, I love the naming of a lot of these characters in the movie, too. Um, Aldo Rain is sort of a pun on Aldo Ray the actor who was in a lot of world war ii movies and it's also an allusion to major charles rain from rolling thunder i think i read somewhere that aldo rain is not officially but you're supposed to consider him as like one of charles rain's relatives who fought world war ii and in rolling thunder william devane plays a vietnam vet who gets uh returned home from the war and is completely disturbed by the experience and then gets tormented by this gang and goes right off the deep end. And Tarantino named his production company after the movie. And I just, I I thought that Brad Pitt's not really trying very hard in this movie, but he's still good. It's still fun. Pappy, I wanted to toss this to you because you also have Native Hmm. American
2: heritage. We've talked about it a couple times on the pod, but do you, this is true <laughs> i think that's a pretty cool thread in this movie that basically the people who win world war ii is a small group of jews and one guy using his native american
3: strategies <laughs> i guess yeah i mean yeah you gotta love it i you know i don't want to be <laughs> that guy i guess i don't think the movie does a great job of keeping track of the bastards though josh like where does sam levine go he just disappears from this yeah, movie you're right. altogether. <laughs> and there's like a couple of bastards who like are kind of like in and out, but I don't know. I mean this I didn't mean to downplay it earlier, Josh. I so said we don't get to see the bastards being badass. Like this with that uh the torturing scene, uh, in that second chapter that they're recounting reca- and they're like, they like smash the guy's head in. Do you do you like Eli Ross, uh Boston accent in that scene, Josh? I'm curious. <laughs> Teddy fucking Williams? Uh it's like debasing when you hear it, isn't it?
2: It just like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know how to describe it. It just takes you out of the movie, but I think that's like what Tarantino wanted. And he does that a lot in his films. Uh, uh, there's also times it almost reminds me of just like when he'll flash text on screen and point out a Nazi and like say who it is. Right. It's very like on the nose, but yes, I'm not a huge fan of Eli Roth's work in general. I'm not a hater. I, I just don't watch much of his stuff, but he's not even really, like, an actor primarily, right? And, like, there's something about his casting in here
5: that's still perfect, I think. It's an incredible Ben Affleck impersonation. <laughs> I'm saying, man, it should have been Sandler. It should have been Sandler. It would have been great.
6: Eli Roth has talked about, uh, on on the QT8 documentary, like, his big scene in this movie when he comes out with the baseball bat. And the way he describes it is, like, is like pretty funny and it like speaks to Tarantino's directing style I guess like he was in that little like you know cave sewer thing and apparently he was in there just like pumping iron like getting like pumped and like <laughs> working himself up mentally like ready to come out cuz he wanted to have this scene like down he wanted to come out with the What bat, do you think he was ingesting? Ingesting NOS energy drinks probably. <laughs> Red line uh, But he's getting pumped in there You know he's in there for a long time And then Tarantino comes in the cave and says Alright that's a wrap for today And he's like all disappointed And he the next day it's like the same thing He's like in there getting his own head Like punching the wall You know ready to come out and be a badass That's it for the day So like <laughs> by the time they finally did do it, it It was all like planned from Tarantino Like he wanted him to be like mentally ready Like he was so like into the scene By the time he got to actually do it And he was all like you know jacked up on slim gins and energy drinks or whatever <laughs> <laughs> and uh i don't know
1: sweet sweet nos
6: yeah
4: <laughs> like what What do we criticize like i thought it was like kind of weird sounding but are we criticizing his accent i mean he's from freaking newton massachusetts i mean that's seven miles away from boston it's not like I... it's a bad accent he may be going overboard a little bit but
3: I thought it was over the top, but then I checked in with Massachusetts correspondent Dave Mello, who's from Boston. He's like, no, that's exactly what people sound like. Who am I to judge at that point?
4: I just figured he was being like a Red Sox announcer, like an old – yeah, he was definitely going overboard. But, I mean, it's not not like we can really criticize what he – I mean, he knows what a a Boston, Massachusetts accent sounds
3: like, you know, so – Who said no to the Adam Sandler
4: thing? Was it Sandler's camp or was it?
5: He was busy making a great movie. It was a scheduling conflict, yeah.
4: He wanted it to be a a golf club um, instead of a baseball bat. (laughs) Because he would have come out out as happy Gilmore.
2: Speaking of that, I wanted Mikey to talk about this. You love practical effects. It's one of our oldest things to pitch to. Mikey for the practical effects info. What did you think about the Bear Jew beating this man with the baseball
6: bat?
8: Uh, Quentin has like a certain style to like all of his deaths in these movies when he uses practical effects. And I find it very off putting, which means it's working. Uh, and it's just like a dummy filled with sacks of blood and it explodes. (laughs) It's like his go-to effect. And it's very effective for me. So I always like how he portrays like people getting shot and maimed and stuff so to me i find it pretty disgusting and really uh really effective in like what he's trying to portray which is like hyper violence so i think it's good
4: you didn't like when all the nuts were getting blown off later uh
8: i mean that's obviously tough to watch but it's like (laughs) the more horrifying thing is like when he gets stabbed through the back of the skull like five seconds later so it's like i don't know he he does violence in a, in his own way, and it's always very good.
4: I thought the baseball bat one was like the most realistic uh, death scene to me, and it, it's definitely hard to watch. Um, I thought it's about exactly what it would look like for what they did, so pretty brutal, I'll give you that. Yeah, I thought it was
6: hilarious.
2: I love it that he hits him in the head, and he goes down, and there's, like, three or four seconds where the dude, the Nazi is on the ground, like, clearly, like, brain damaged, and his hands are just up in the yeah. air kind of flailing. <laughs> and bear chew, Eli Roth, just goes for his, like, stomach for a couple of hits after that. I don't know, C V I I guess I want you to explain, like, what's the general af- affect of the bastards themselves? They're, like, all standing around this little canyon, kind of, like, chirping in, laughing.
1: Well, it, it's they're pumped, man. Like... I mean, and, you know, they say, you know, we've heard of you, of course, you're Aldo the Apache, of course, you've heard of Hugo Stiglitz, you know, they're excited, They're like, oh, yeah, like, our job is working, like, you know, our names are traveling through the German ranks of everyone, you know, we're letting go to spread word, and people are truly fearing us, and I think they got great pleasure from that one soldier that was just crying on the ground, like, when he knew it was going to happen, probably just praying he was going to be the last one standing, um... But yeah, pretty much. Uh, they're really just trying to get the word out that you know they're messing Nazis up.
7: Johnny now i shitting my pants you,
4: yeah. yeah. <laughs> fucking Williams. Yeah. out of the park, Fenway Park! On his feet for Teddy! Fucking ball game! He went yard on that one! On the fucking lands down street! You! Damn it, Hirschberg.
5: They're giving back what the Nazis have been giving out, you know? It's like, they're gonna scare the
8: shit out of them. It's so funny that that officer or commander or whatever that gets beaten to death with the bat, like... They make it mm-hmm. seem so dramatic, and he's so honorable as he's sitting there waiting to die when, like, he's got to know, like, immediately afterward, those two guys are, like, <laughs> shitting their pants, and they're going to give up all that <laughs> information <laughs> in order to save themselves. He just kind of dies for nothing.
6: And Hitler hears about all this, and he's, like, pissed. And wasn't this during, like, the height of the, like, the Hitler reacts to meme? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I, just, I I can't believe Stevie had never seen the trailer, because I... Saw a thousand times. Hitler goes nine 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 nine, and it was cut right next to Brad Pitt going, "Oh yes, 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 yes." And, like I saw that a thousand million times, like before movies and DVDs and stuff.
5: The cartoonish violence in that in that sequence because like it's very graphic and and hard to watch at sometimes, and it's also laughably funny at sometimes too. Like it's like um, very obviously a dummy that they're like desecrating. But this is the major point of the movie, which is like this movie is uh, an assault on the Nazis. And one of the most effective ways to make fun of a fascist is to laugh at them. So the violence in the movie is cartoonish and funny. And the fact that it looks cheap is part of the joke because this film has no respect for them.
2: Do you like that part where Goebbels starts crying after Hitler tells him it's his best film yet? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really making fun of them in like the harshest way, maybe Tarantino even knew how. Like here's a director like like sucking this Hitler's wiener. I don't
0: know.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of amazing cinema, we do a last we do a lot of fast and furious movies and that's just some serious film right there, Kyle, <laughs> this is Kylo. Awesome. Whenever we do those, we always <laughs> toss you to you for like the history and like maybe the heist details. So I'm wondering, can you take us into this Austin Powers Michael Fassbender plot?
6: Uh, how? how are, what is Operation Kino? <laughs> All right, Magneto and Goldmember are in a room <laughs> yucking it up. they're so ridiculously british that it's like (laughs) it's funny like it's the exposition of their plan to like uh go meet up with the bastards and infiltrate go behind enemy lines and all that it's funny to me and not because they necessarily say things are funny but their britishness is funny are you guys feeling that too oh yeah who's the third guy their (laughs)
4: heads It's
6: supposed to be Churchill. Churchill?
3: That's just supposed to be actually Churchill in there? Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Just chomping on a cigar in the back, not saying anything. He's like, well, how are they doing? (laughs)
8: Now I get it. That's supposed to be Rod Taylor. He's from The Birds or something.
5: Yeah, Rod Taylor was was Churchill. That was his last film. He died shortly thereafter. But I read that Tarantino was... They were pushing Albert Finney on him, but he actually was... Uh, tied to Rod Taylor because of some weird movie Rod Taylor made a long time ago that Tarantino's nut over, you know, the way that, you know, he has that idiosyncratic casting. Um, he just was like, oh, I want Rod Taylor. <laughs> like, you turned down Albert Finney? Jesus.
6: Keep, uh, well, yeah, I keep anyway, going to you get back low, to please. what I was saying. Yeah, so the, Sorry, the Brits had found out about this uh, movie that's going to be playing and all the high-up Germans are going to be there, all the Nazis, so... Basically, they get Michael Fassbender, who's, I guess, like, I don't know. He's got, like, a movie podcast or something. So he's got, like, the crap, you know? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to send him he's in because totally... he knows all about the fucking Kino movies. He's seen all the good shit. And uh, they're going to meet with the German double agent, Bridget von Hammersmack, and basically <laughs> just infiltrate this this film that they're going to show. And the plan is to blow it up, kill everyone inside. Mike Myers, Two Movie Club, listen
3: Bohemian Rhapsody.
6: That's it,
4: so wow. far. <laughs> Peasant, stay tuned for the Love Guru.
5: <sighs> you know, I didn't think Mike Myers was all that strong in the part, but what do you guys think?
4: I like pretty much most things what he does, but I think it was supposed yeah. to be a little over the top, like Corey said. <laughs> He's just super British. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was
3: the point. I like the vibe that he brings, but
4: I don't know if he's great.
3: Yeah,
2: I like the vibes, but I don't think it's like Travolta in Pulp Fiction about to like
5: get a renaissance in his career because of it or anything. Oh my God. <laughs> I, yeah, but he's not even trying <laughs> to. It's literally every once in a while, like one of Tarantino's casting choices is distracting.
6: Yeah, he's a little immersion breaking.
5: I knew what he was trying to do, but I didn't know if it was done all that well.
6: I was into it. I mean, that seems pure exposition. And I think yeah, for sure. just adding something that kind of like catches your interest outside of just like what they're saying is cool to me. Like seeing Michael Myers, like like I said, not Michael Myers, that's a different guy. Mike Myers, <laughs> yuck it up. I just, I'm into it. Corey, did you like when he said, "No
4: one will bang their head." The Bohemian Rhapsody—that was the best part of the movie. <laughs>
6: oh, that's so fucking cringe, dude. <laughs> His career is so strange. It's like literally
3: the past decade has just been past decade plus. Inglorious Bastards, Shrek sequels, and Bohemian Rhapsody with some Saturday Night Live appearances sprinkled in there. It's strange.
5: Maybe he's just enjoying life now. I hope
8: he is. Academy Award-winning Bohemian Rhapsody and. Uh, Quentin Tarantino's *Inglorious Bastards*, Pap. You put some respect on his name. What's That's a better true. edited film? Academy Award-winning
3: <laughs> *Bohemian Rhapsody* for editing, or *Inglorious <laughs> Bastards* edited by the legendary <laughs> Sally Menke? This was her last
2: movie. Hi, movie.
6: Sally. <laughs> she's dead. This is the last. Movie. She's she's passed away.
2: Pap, I do want you to continue the stream on this yeah. whole thing with Mike Myers. Leads to fighting in a basement.
3: Yeah, and again, I, I think this is like a little thing, but. You know Tarantino supposedly had this giant you know novel that he had been working on since after Jackie Brown and I don't know to what extent he would have flushed out the details but we really just go from that scene with Churchill with Mike Myers to the basement scene next it, it totally jumps forward uh, I guess they're sort of in a I don't know like a safe house or some sort of like abandoned building across the street from where they're eventually going to meet up with the actress actress Bridget von Hammersmark Um but, man, F- Fastbender's great in this, too. And I, know, I don't want to steal a breast because I know Fastbender's your boy, but this is like one of his coming out things, too, right? Like, he wasn't yeah, Fastbender
4: then. This was his breakout role, I would say.
3: Do you like him in this? I, like I said, I know he's your boy, but I know that the first time you tried to watch it, this is about when it got too, too tense for you.
4: <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I stopped watching because I didn't want, uh, I thought that they were going to kill that Wilhelm guy. And it, I, for a second there, I thought it was super hilarious. I'm like, oh my God, he's the only one that's going to live. I did, definitely did not expect all hell to break loose like that. Um, yeah, I do like him. It's rare to actually hear him talk um, that British, like old-timey British, because he doesn't usually have that accent. But,
0: yeah.
2: I want to get to the all the heads popping off in a second. But, Jesse, this kind of fits in with the uh, interi- interrogation motive, right? We got some cigarettes smoked. We got some kings drank before he raps on the gates of hell or something. Uh, we got these little barbs traded back
5: and forth. Is this pretty, Is it? how does this rank
2: in the interrogations for you in this film?
5: This is, a, this is a really great one. My favorite interrogation in the movie though, like the one where I was actually like nerve wracked was the third one, the strudel one. Yeah, we kind of skipped over that. No, I just wanted to jump ahead to say that like that's the only one that doesn't end in death. And that is the one where my nerves were on were jangling throughout because I didn't know at this point I was kind of expecting that the movie would do anything. So yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, it's such a great moment when it doesn't happen. It's actually quite uh, it's like the only breath you're allowed to take in the movie. And the fourth scene though is brilliant. The way that it just stretches out. It's like, how long is that scene? 20 minutes or something. In the basement, yeah. Like, how long do they have their pistols
2: pointed at each other's
5: wieners? It's a while. <laughs> it seems <laughs> like think... a long time too. It's tension and like and all this like padding too, like oh, yeah. explaining the rules of the game as well. You know, like there's just so much information, so much tension too. And I have to admit that like one of the things that I liked about the explanation in the scene with the veterinarians' office was because I did not know what gave them away like the movie says it was a hand gesture, but I I figured that the guy was figuring it out. And then, but I didn't understand what exactly triggered him to realize that these guys were the, the bad guys as far as they're concerned. Uh, That was a detail that I didn't quite catch. And that dialogue helped me understand it.
8: That, that was Josh's gripe. Josh explain. Did you know that about German culture, how they reference? No. The number three on their hand.
2: Well, now everyone knows. Yeah, I guess maybe the first time I watched this, you're right. That's a fair criticism of my criticism, but I still, I still feel like that could have been done, displayed on screen, maybe a slightly different way. I digress, though. Stevie, the thing that I am obsessed with in my brain and breaking down is like the actual fight scene itself, and it takes place in like the blink of an eye, but. Yeah, what do you think about this fight, seeing Stevie?
1: Well, I love it because Quentin does a great job of prepping you for it, especially during Lieutenant Aldo Rain's you know introduction and speech in the beginning. You know, he says he's going to get a debit of a hundred scalps, and the camera zooms in on him real strong when he goes, "Or you will die, trying. And it kind of clicked to me the first time I watched this that people are going to die really quickly or soon, you know, when they go into this basement because <laughs> nothing can ever go right. <laughs> Mm -hmm. ever and i'm with jesse when i first watched this i had no clue what gave them away and you know the kind of fun that quentin has playing with his audience is about rewatching a movie is right when you you know enter in the bar the first thing the camera really shows is the bartender pouring three shots of whiskey Mm. i think that's a little fun like a little fun tidbit for things to come but i think the real kind of part where you know like hell hell is about to break loose is when Michael Fassbender pretty much says i hope you don't care if i go out speaking the kings like i know i'm going to die he's going to die they're going to die and it's rapid it probably takes you know a grand total of 15 seconds and nearly everyone is dead
6: it's reservoir dogs ending like on crack right yeah, yeah. So. yes <laughs> i
2: don't know how many times you guys rewatched this scene over the years or even today while prepping for this pod but could we try as a group to kind of like break down the ordering of events in here because it is tough now
0: about this pickle we find ourselves in it would appear there's only one thing left you to do and what would that be sticklets
6: See our feeders into your nazi boss
2: So, like, first, the three guys start all shooting each other in the nuts, right? Shticklitz is going ham. <laughs> what does he say, Stevie? He says something about your Nazi balls or something.
1: Yeah, I say goodbye to your Nazi balls. I think he drops some other effort in there, maybe.
8: Yeah. The bartender just joins in on the fun just because he doesn't have to, but he does. Another day at the bar. Jesse, you got any tidbits in here? Like,
2: what? Anything that happens in this breakneck fight scene, like who shoots who?
5: Well, it's it's just so it's everything except the impact and action has been removed from the scene. Like you just see just a flurry of violence, like it's uh, going. Too quickly for you to be able to catch up, which I think is probably the experience of violence. I like that. Like if you were in that room and all of a sudden this huge violence broke out, it would feel like that to you.
3: You know what's so interesting thing about this scene too? I think this is the first time I've ever seen a female Nazi soldier on screen in any media.
5: Yeah, same. Because I you're I, forgetting it, you're forgetting Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I am not familiar with I'll add it to my letterbox. Oh, God. Now. There's but, yeah. a whole
5: series of movies about this uh, with this Eurotrash uh, trash movies called Ilsa She-Wolf of the SS. It was very <laughs> controversial in the 70s. She was a babe and she was running a camp or something. And she was like, a, you know, a haughty Nazi.
3: Well, the next time I have a young person tell me they want to watch Elsa on TV, I'll know exactly what to show them. Exactly. But
5: <laughs> she's, not, she's not
3: inconsequential, though, because I think she kills most of the people, right, from behind, or at least mm-hmm. a couple of the bastards she's shooting. Yeah. Yeah,
2: she pulls a gun. She's shooting down multiple folks. Um, eventually, Wilhelm... It, well, yeah, Wilhelm is the last one remaining with a gun, and he kind of mows down... The remaining survivors which includes like the bartender's daughter which is actually pretty sad but
5: so horrible i
2: think that like i like this idea of like these german soldiers out having a drink seemingly with a lot of humanity very relatable and like they're thrust into this time period where they're also like human killing warriors and their instincts even this drunk wilhelm is like stupidly drunk Talking back to his superiors and you know lingering too long and just being a general like dumbass. But when like violence hits, even though it's like too fast for my eyes, Wilhelm is still
5: like just mowing people down. It's kind of impressive. I like that part of this movie. It was very surprising. I I, I thought that the introduction of the fastbender character was because he's going to be in the rest of the movie, Same. and then suddenly he's gone. <laughs>
3: it's mm-hmm. like less than 30 minutes of like time that he's in the movie and you know substantially less that he's on screen probably only like five or six minutes of being on screen
6: i love seeing him though for the short amount of time we get him i love fassbender i think the the big moment is when that wilhelm dude is like drunkenly trying to like talk to them at their table and like talk to the celebrity bridget von hammersmark
4: yeah she's too nice and yeah. uh he
6: just like basically says like get the fuck out of here in a uh, very Nazi like you know professional military way I love that moment
3: I also love the moment
6: too where they're playing
3: uh the game as the officers and Tarantino not so subtly points out how fucking racist like the original King Kong (laughs) reads too where it's like it can only be one of two things
5: (laughs) yeah that was obviously some editorializing in this dialogue right like he wanted to work in that theory (laughs) into a
6: screenplay and we know he does that from time to time I was thinking about that. That would have been, like, a huge movie at the time, right? Like, I mean, it, it's a huge movie now, but, like, th- that was, like, one of the biggest movies of the 30s, right? So, like, around that time, it would have really been in, like, the public, like, consciousness. And I was going to try to make a version of that game with the cars on the head for trivia at the end
2: of the episode, but I couldn't really figure out a way to do that through Skype, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
5: We'd have to turn video on for that. And this scene also... uh what's so great about it is that tarantino has a real understanding of how much more europeans know than americans and canadians like there's stuff that like we would watch and not understand like the the three fingers the german style of ordering drinks or whatever but there's a whole other part of the world in germany and in england where during that scene they would all gasp because he just gave himself away. Like, people who understand social graces over there would totally understand it. It's so interesting how sometimes a, a big mainstream movie can be understood in one part of the world and not quite understood in another. There is yeah. a great detail though
3: that Diane Kruger, who plays Bridget von, Hammersmark, Like you can see it in her face the second Fassbender gives him away. Her total, her demeanor totally changes. The way she, she, her eye line totally changes. She like starts looking down. Is clearly very nervous. That's it's a great subtle thing that you catch on a, on a rewatch when you realize what's what's just been what's just happened there.
5: Yeah, but I did not get it the first time <laughs> I saw it. I did not get it.
3: There's so many times in this movie where I'm thinking, does this
2: character consider maybe just standing up and walking out of this room right this very instance? Like, <laughs> is that a possibility? <laughs> you know, if this is a track meet, fastbender has been holding the baton, running for a while, passes it off to Diane Kruger. She, we kind of follow her with the bastards now a little bit into the cinema her and Brad Pitt decide to go ahead and go through with the plan, even though
4: Terrible plan.
2: I, I guess like one of the guys was German born and the or both of them were German born, so they had like legit German speakers ready to go. Those two guys got killed. Now we're dealing with the dregs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I
8: speak the most of Italian, so I'll be your escort. Donovan speaks second most, so he'll be your Italian cameraman. Omar third most, so he'll be Donnie's assistant. I don't speak Italian. Like I said, third best. Just keep your fucking mouth shut.
3: Buongiorno. Yeah.
5: But the other joke is that he pronounces his name better than the other guys. <laughs> Even though he doesn't speak Italian. Because <laughs> Valt only asks him like one other time to repeat it.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he says bravo. Like, you're doing better than these guys. It's a very meta moment, I feel like. we're back to the movie theater we've kind of been here already in this podcast in the projector room but can you give us like a really bird's eye perspective on what happens here with the bastards and this theater full of nazis
1: it's just a great bit of tension because you know before the bar scene everybody's going you know full of confidence yeah they're all going to go in there and they're going to kill nazis it's going to be great and I think Tarantino does a fantastic job of melding two movies, which are The Dirty Dozen and um, the 1978 Inglorious Bastards, which mm-hmm. is nothing like this movie, um, but very similar outcomes between the two movies. And I think it's great that you know, we get introduced to Hans Landa in the first scene, then we get hit the bastards, and we run a collision course for these two people. You know to finally meet and it's just a fun game that londa's playing with them of like i know who you are and i'm gonna drag this out as much as possible
3: (laughs) brett you characterize it as a dumb plan which is funny because that's literally exactly (laughs) what quentin tarantino was saying too. that like this is such a stupid plan i don't i feel like they're they're shooting their shot though right like they're trying to end world war ii i mean they're doing the best of what they have
5: there's also a bigger cosmic joke too, because, like, there's two actual plans to kill Hitler all happening at the same time that neither of the others know.
4: Yeah, but one's a good plan.
5: (laughs) It's like a goal and an assist. Like we said, Brett, third best. Is it?
2: uh, Brett, the original plan includes having Stiglitz go in there. That's not necessarily, like, the best.
4: No, I couldn't no. believe they had Stiglitz in the bar. I mean, he was in the newspaper. <laughs> uh,
5: yeah. He, I know. He killed like True. 13.
4: Front page of the German propaganda newspaper, and he's there.
5: That might have been how the guy figured out that it was them. It might not have been the hand gesture. It would have been like Hugo Stiglitz sitting at the table. <laughs> I see him. His face. Finally turned pro.
4: <laughs> and he literally is sitting at the same table as the guy who tortured him.
1: <laughs> You're right. <laughs>
2: Oh my God! Who is the third guy? So Eli Roth, Brad Pitt, and Bridget Van Hammer
7: It's
4: Italian Colkin, brother. Yeah, he looks so much like a Colkin to me. Like Italian <laughs> Jewish, Colkin. I like that. <laughs> he looks like the guy from that show you watch, Stevie.
1: Succession. Yeah, I'm Roman.
4: Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Omar Doom. Yeah, Omar Doom. Yep.
2: They kind of get split up, and I'll take this scene really quick. Uh, basically, the easiest way to explain it is that Hans Landa strangles Bridget von Hammerschmark, and I feel like that's Quentin Tarantino getting his kicks in in this movie. It's a pretty famous note that I think it's his hands actually strangling her because Christoph, yes. Christoph Waltz like didn't want to do that shit.
4: Is it his hands putting the shoe on, too? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Probably. He's like, I need my eye behind the lens, too, at the same yeah. time. <laughs> uh,
5: yeah. When everyone was mad at Tarantino a couple of years ago, like when people were upset about Tarantino and the whole Uma, Uma Thurman, Thurman accident on Kill Bill, yeah. like they brought up that scene in Inglorious Bastards as an example of his hostility towards women. He's a method. I, I,
4: I don't know if yeah, that's I,
2: fair, I, but... I no, reject, I I
4: reject so. the yeah. hypothesis. Yeah. <laughs> Well, people felt the same way about The Hateful
3: Eight, right? When, uh, what's her name? Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee gets hung. Like There's a big backlash against that, and she's a bad guy within the context of that movie. And Hanged. Bridget Van Hammer sparks anything but in the context of this movie.
5: Well, the fact is that Tarantino's playing with tropes of exploitation movies. He's not endorsing or like hoping that you'll be inspired by this shit. This is the kind of stuff that you expect to see in these movies. And he's uh, playing around with these tropes. I don't think uh, it's fair to like read any more into it than that.
4: I mean, you're describing Twitter, in my opinion, so, I mean, that's <laughs> what people complain about. I, I don't, I mean, I think it's dumb, personally, but she's not a very good actress when it comes to being under stress. Is that supposed to be like, like a little under-the-table joke? or is it just that she's just uncomfortable around the Major and Hans Landa? I mean, she does not do very well under pressure.
8: I was gonna say that she seems a little over over her head yeah. regarding the whole secret agent thing.
4: She does not bounce back very well. She
8: reaches into that bag
2: and feels her shoe and like freezes and is like huh?
4: Yeah, like, she's like a what they would call a front runner like in sports or whatever, like you're really, <laughs> when things are going really well, you're awesome, but when it's down, you're God. terrible. Like, she's really good with the drunk people when she's comfortable, but when the Gestapo, the Geppetto mayor, major come in, and uh, Hans Landa, like, yeah, whoever brought up the shoot thing, like, she just does not have a very good poker face.
2: That's just a long-winded no. way of saying that yeah. she's arrogant. We get it.
5: What were we going to say, Jesse?
4: Oh, my God. <laughs>
5: <laughs> and it's also, I mean, it's just another example of the sadism of the vault's character. Like, when he knows that he's got somebody in their crosshairs, he'll drag it out he'll make them sweat. And he does that every time. And that's what's so effective about the strudel scene is because you think he's onto her, but you, then you realize that that's just the shit he does to everyone and in this movie. We're mm. only seeing the successful examples. He is definitely sadistic though.
2: Brett, sorry about that. You're my buddy. I, I want to toss to you. I feel like this is an honor. Tell, tell me about, this fire in the theater and how just great and cathartic it is, this end scene. Like, just give us the best details.
4: Uh, okay, so I was a little confused about what their plan was, uh, Shoshana and her boyfriend guy, or whatever, but, um, like, was she going to go down with the thing or was she going to get out? Sorry, I'm, I'm asking a question before I get into it.
2: So projector-wise, I think she was thinking there would be a way out the back. But I think, like Pappy said earlier, I think it was him. She knew it was also pretty suicidal going through with this. But no, I'm talking more about, like, Eli Roth and whatever his name is, his secondary buddy.
4: (laughs) Yeah, so... just gets up. Uh, they show that they have the dynamite strapped to their legs, and either, you know, I don't know why Eli Roth got up. Maybe just was really uncomfortable, and he hadn't seen Brad Pitt or whatever. Um, but then he goes up and sees. Um, this is almost like this is kind of like Looney Tunes-ish to me. Like <laughs> he goes up and he just smirks, like he gets a big old grin, like he's he's got the next three steps planned out, and he's pumped about it. And as you find out later, they know that. The only hard part is going to be the very, very beginning, Um, which is where the odds are stacked against them. They have these, like, single-shot little handguns that, I mean, if, that, if they can't do that part, then the rest of it's done, and they're going to be dead. But So then he goes, and I don't know, I thought it was pretty funny, uh gets the other guy who's hard to get a hold of. I don't know if it's because he's, like, into the movie or whatever. I don't know if that's just a little throwaway mm-hmm. joke or not, but then he's, you know... He's saying "scusi, scusi," which is like the funniest Italian word. Um,
2: pardon, pardon,
4: scusi, scusi. We've yeah. seen Euro Trip. Euro Trip, yeah, uh, um. So yeah, then he gets them up there, and then they're both just like super geeked out about what's going to happen. And they were, did they change into server outfits, or do they already kind of had that on? They just got some drinks. They changed. Did they? Okay. Mm-hmm. and they have these little one-shot guns which I've actually never seen before and they like kind of strap them on the hand which is pretty cool and the plan is I'm going to go up and shoot this guy and what does he say, you have 30 feet to cover uh, in about, I don't know, 2 seconds and it goes off and the best part about all this is all these gunshots that are going off in real life nobody can hear it because everyone's got like this huge boner for this movie <laughs> um, which is, yes. which if you think about it I know we're all movie guys. You had to think about how terrible of a movie that had to been, right? It's literally just him shooting people over and over again. I mean, I know. it's which I think is funny, is because Goebbels is like, "Oh my God, Hitler loves it. I'm the, I'm the best. I'm, you know,
8: whatever." But dude, it's it's a moving picture. They're probably just amazed at <laughs> seeing That's anything true. on That's a screen. That's true. Back then, it was amazing. Jesse was talking uh, about this talking. earlier, but making
2: fun of Nazis. I think one of the best jokes there is. It, qt shows hitler's face like close up laughing just chuckling and it's oh, like yeah, like a little kid it's the wilhelm scream he's laughing at and it's like the cheesiest oh. b-movie yeah. shite
4: <laughs> stevie how much would you hate it if hitler was like eating popcorn and it was like <laughs> little kev S- stevie can't stand like people eating in slow-mo or whatever
1: and <laughs> oh, it, it c- just like zooms in on his mouth and all you can see is teeth and like kernels in the back of his <laughs> tongue. Like, I, didn't think I, Nightmare. Hate, I didn't
4: think I could hate Hitler anymore, but now I do.
6: Like Denethor?
1: <laughs> that would have struck a nerve with me. Yeah, the way Denethor eats tomatoes. It's terrifying.
6: <laughs> He's got a little
3: kernel on his mustache. <laughs> <Chilling>. <laughs> it's Save funny because
6: Hitler is like laughing at like the violence the way yeah. I'm yeah. laughing at Tarantino's violence. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, it's, you know, this is the cartoon of this movie.
5: Uh, like Hitler cackling away in his seat is the kind of shit that you'd see in like World War II sort of anti-Hitler propaganda sure. movies, like a cartoony version. And importantly, when those guys are moving through the seats to get out of the aisle, they're like, pardon me, excuse me, excuse me, like Bugs Bunny in that yeah. cartoon where Bugs Bunny's <laughs> in the movie theater. Like, <laughs> the, Like the destruction is cartoonish. And like there are all these little hints, cartoony hints of what's to come. Pappy. Even
4: when you introduce Hitler, who's such a like a famous evil figure, he's just like doing what I've seen this scene before. I thought it was like a joke, like when he's like, nine, 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 like he's just throwing a temper tantrum. Pappy, Sorry, Josh, no,
2: it's cool. I love that. Um, you talked about Paul Thomas Anderson when we did Boogie Nights. Quentin Tarantino's like dig on that movie was that the movie within the movie? wasn't as good as it should be. How do you rate Quentin's mm-hmm. movie within a movie here?
3: Um I I mean I don't know. I Did he follow his own advice? I don't think that Quentin Tarant- Well, I don't think Quentin Tarantino thinks very much of Adolf Hitler's opinion on movies, <laughs> right? Whereas in Boogie yeah. Nights it was oh, fuck, what's the character's name? Uh Dirk Diggler? No, Dirk Diggler is like father figure in the movie. Jack Horner. Jack Horner. Like he knows film, right? that's like the whole point is that he he's a film lover, he's passionate about film. He would know the difference between a good and a bad movie. Hitler' just like shit films man, that's fill's into <laughs> too fast, too furious. he's getting off on that kind of stuff <laughs> well, Eli Getocito. Roth directed
5: that Eli Roth directed the footage for the film within a film. Oh, it's nice. not actually Tarantino, huh. and uh they so Eli Roth and his brother, I think put together enough footage for about five minutes of just a sniper shooting away at uh, his targets. Um, So it does have a slightly different and premature, but I also thought it was very funny because it is like um, watching YouTube videos of like accidents or something like that. Like it was this really (laughs) crass portrayal of like German culture that they're all uh gathered together to watch this movie of a guy just killing people and that's all that's happening.
6: <laughs> it's probably Eli Roth's best film.
5: <laughs> but it's it's as good as it has to be, you know? It's just this piece of shit propaganda movie that uh is just un, you know, it, it it's just crass. It's just so funny that this is a high culture moment for Germany during the war.
2: You know something, Kylo? I think this just might be Eli Roth's masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's up there with cabin fever.
3: I really do love though more than the film within the film. I, I like seeing the mechanics of how a projection booth would have worked in the forties, right? Even like when she's like gluing the the film together and how she has to flip the switch when the X comes on and everything like I've you know, I've never been a projectionist or anything, but it's, I think it's fascinating to see sort of the, the inner workings of, of what's going on back there.
6: Pappy, I don't know if you know this, but Quentin didn't go to film school. He went to films. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard. I
8: think someone might have told Quentin, like, hey, I don't know if you've ever heard this fun fact about nitrate film, but it's extremely flammable. And he got it in his head, and he built a whole movie around that one fact.
5: (laughs) You know what's funny is that Tarantino put the actress Melanie Laurent through her paces. Like, she had to audition a few times for the movie, and... Once she got the movie, Tarantino put her to work, apparently, at the New Beverly uh, to learn projection. (laughs) Like, so she was required to put together the trailers and the cartoons before the movie. So she had to learn how to edit and splice film and then run run it on a projector.
6: So maybe when I saw Ninja Turtles there, she was working the projection. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. There's a good chance.
5: (laughs) It's just so funny. So because she's pretty convincing working away... uh, you know, running in the projector like you don't question that she doesn't know how to do it.
3: Quick, Melanie Laurent appreciation moment. She's great. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. It, Like the, I, I'm surprised this movie hasn't been memed more because she has so many reactions so, to, yeah. to things, especially when her eyes get wide that I think
5: would be very gifable, very memeable. Her yeah. apathy
4: towards anything that uh, Daniel Brühl says is like awesome. So like, good.
5: Yeah. So good. She reminded me a lot of Isabelle Huppert except a younger version. Just like this insouciance that you get from like French women, like she was, you know, a lot of uh, eyeball bulging, just kind of like, what did you say? Kind of like trying to, yeah. to maintain composure, <laughs> but not impressed, you know, like that total French French attitude. It was great.
8: Two movie club, two movie for what else? Enemy. I don't remember what for. Uh,
4: it's funny she's, you use the word she's having sex with him and, uh, and ah. uh, yeah, I, I don't know how I knew that. Ah. <laughs>
8: but uh, Brett's got it queued up. <laughs> Brett has definitely
3: not seen Enemy. Way too many spiders yeah. for Brett in that movie. But it's funny that you mentioned that she maintains her composure because I guess the original script, she was going to be this like badass, violent heroine where she was going to be like sniping Nazis and killing Nazis and sneaking up on Nazis and killing them. And then Qu- Tarantino does Kill Bill. They said, well, I basically gave all that violence to the bride, and now this character is much more like Jackie Brown, right? Where her, her mm-hmm. superpower is Definitely. being able to stay cool under pressure, like be able to manage the situation, That those sort of skills, which I think this film is much better for it, having, having her in that lane.
5: One other thing that I was thinking about in that fifth chapter was just another level of like, I had so much respect for Christoph Waltz for being able to, be such a convincing actor in three different languages, and then he starts talking in Italian, too? Yeah. He was like Superman.
2: <laughs> it's not really fair. I don't like thinking about that too much, actually. Thanks. <laughs> Stevie, it wasn't until after I picked Inglorious Bastards that I found out this was your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie of all time. and CC. And that QT is probably your favorite director of all time. I'd love you to do us the is honors he- of kind of taking us through this last fallout of the plot. We've already had our climax at the theater, so what's what are the last couple little scenes here to finish out the movie? And why is this Quentin? Why is it or is it Quentin? Quentin's
1: masterpiece. Do you want me to finish the theater? Or go head straight to uh, Aldo. I think we know- I think theater. we all
2: know that Hitler got his face just caved in and everything burned and like no one survived
1: by about
5: 75 bullets yeah (laughs) can i can i ask one quick logic flaw question about this movie though Yep. at the beginning they say that they're going to speak in english because they don't want the family downstairs because they don't speak english to understand what they're talking about but at the end of the movie when she's uh you know her movie gets spliced into the war movie, and she tells them that they're all going to die, it's in English. So, how much time passed from the farm Four years. Period? Only three or four years. I don't know whether or not she would have been able to master the English language in such a short time, or whether that's a fantasia uh, that, you know, we we the audience hear it in English, but it actually was in German, well, I, or, you know, I'm just Maybe confused.
4: she knew a little English, because she's the only one that escaped. Maybe she started moving before
8: everyone else
2: Maybe, but I would Maybe. I would Hi. toss it to the spoiler, man. How much Spanish did you guys learn at Concord High School? Like, for me, it was very little. Zero. That's four years. That, like. uh, yeah,
8: what is, uh, <laughs> how do you calculate 0% <laughs> mastery of a language?
1: <laughs>
8: I think it was to instill the fear in the Germans. as the way the Germans
1: instilled fear in her, you know, all those years ago. Because how many German soldiers speak English? So I think it's True. a fun little reversal of her being able to speak English to them. Ooh. And not all of them know English, which would be terrifying to them. That they have is no clue brilliant. what's going on. Okay,
4: that's good, Stevie.
2: Maybe she kind of yeah, knows that's really good, English from like the
5: movies, too. You know,
4: that's,
5: yeah. Yeah. Been working there for a while. That is, If that's what he was up to, I'm even more impressed. That's brilliant. Okay, Stevie. It just works on that level.
1: And, you know, I enjoy seeing Nazis get blown up, especially, like, Hitler and Goebbels. Um and I think, you know, I was bummed that uh Omar and Eli didn't make it out. But I think they kind of had the thought in their heads they were going down anyway. Uh so that part kind of bummed me out, but um yeah, theater blows up, places on fire, everybody pretty much dies. I imagine everyone in that theater died. Uh did they ever show if Marcel made it out? He had to. No, have. but I got to think no. he did, right? <sighs> I hope he I made it. I feel like out. he did. Um but this is where the movie jumps to, you know the great, <laughs> the great discussion between Lieutenant Aldo Rain and uh, Colonel mm-hmm. Hans Landa, and it goes far different because you're used to seeing both these men in power, especially like Aldo Rain and the Bastards, and pretty much all the Bastards are gone. You kind of have to think in your head, you know, how is Aldo gonna get the one up on Landa because he's such a despicable villain, and the way Quentin Tarantino went about it I think was pretty genius
2: Brett what was that oversight you were talking about earlier that you think Hans had
4: No, I I said it I mean maybe I, I might be reading in it too much but like he's a guy who literally thought of everything the whole time but, like, he didn't have any stipulations of they're not supposed to be touched or whatever. And, I mean, he's he's been interviewing survivors the whole movie about people who get carved with a swastika on their head, and he didn't <laughs> think about that.
8: Yeah. That's what I, I was thinking, too, Brad, is, like, why wouldn't he just shoot him in the face as soon as he hands himself up? <laughs> like, why, why? I don't understand. Like, why would he be off the hook, too? We don't care. We just ended the... We just ended World War 2 You're just one more guy to check off the list. And yeah. it'd be easier to just kill you than give you all of that stuff you asked for. Because
5: getting to live is sometimes worse than being just put out of your misery, you know? Like, like he wanted him to suffer by coming back to America and being immediately stigmatized. And mm. the other thing about Landa is, like, everything that he's doing is supposedly by the books, and he's taking advantage of... America's diplomacy and their, you know, like the rules of engagement, and he's not counting on Brad Pitt to just fuck him over the way that this guy is trying to fuck everybody else over. Mm
3: -hmm. Yep. I'm just gonna say it though. We Brett, we make fun of you for using the word arrogant a lot. But I mean Yeah, I've done it like twice. But go ahead. Nate (laughs) having the last line of your movie have Brad Pitt look right in the calendar and say this is my masterpiece like come on that's a little arrogant
4: right I wouldn't know anything about that
2: So is the whole thing that I think Jesse was talking about earlier—that he's like taking history into his own hands. Like, I think he had a lot of good points that he's ahead of his time, but I think there's a certain ego that like let him do that. I heard a quote where he's basically like, "This is how World War II actually could have ended if characters I created were actually involved, or something like that. Like, basically, if I was God, World War II would have been better." That's or something. arrogant
3: a little bit. <laughs> Well, yeah, and Mark Wahlberg could have stopped nine eleven if he was 11. on the plane. But, I mean, that doesn't make it true. But it also, but, I mean, that's that's inherently different, like the, the choices he's making in the stories. I'm saying the auteur of this film ends it with saying, this is my masterpiece. I, I, it does rub me the wrong way. If I'm being honest, it, it kind of bothers me a wee little bit.
6: <laughs> and we all know his masterpiece is the rewrites he did for It's Pack. Come on. <laughs> 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 <I know. laughs> That's a perfect time joke, Kylo. Let's throw it
2: to final thoughts. This is a segment where anyone is free to toss out anything they want that we may have skipped over. To Stevie's point to me a couple weeks ago, we probably will have to skip a lot, but what are some big ones you guys still have? I I know some of you have some notes
6: still. I have a quick one. So, I think Christoph Waltz is such an amazing actor that if he actually turned out to be a Nazi, I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) That's your note? That's it. That's the note. That's it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Could be a Nazi. Question mark. I have three
4: quick things. Uh, One's actually a note. Uh, I I think if you're going pound for pound, like obviously the best performance is uh, Hans Landa and everything like that, but I personally thought the best pound for pound performance was the major from the Gestapo. Um, He made my skin crawl whenever he was on screen, uh, and I think he made the most of. What is he on screen? Maybe two or three times. Um, He's the guy who gets shot in the balls if anybody. Yeah, I mean, like I thought he was so good, and uh, he's got like a pleasant-ish face, but like just it's contorted. In arrogance and sorry, that's <laughs> my go-to. Ooh, word. There Jeez, it is, but, yes. but I get made fun of for <laughs> saying women are arrogant, so this guy's a guy. Uh I and I'll think I've that's just my opinion on that. And I have two quick questions. Uh Jesse, have you seen uh, the masterpiece Ilsa, Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks? <laughs> that's a that's the acclaimed <laughs> follow-up to uh yeah. the, the SS one. I and do I'm, believe
5: that. I do believe these movies are partly Canadian as well. I think the harem keeper of the oil sheiks is uh, Canadian.
4: This just sounds like uh, that, God, that movie couldn't be made with this title right now. Uh, there's, nowadays, three, right?
5: there's three of these movies, I believe. Yeah, one, yeah. I saw another
4: one. It's a Gifford name. Like, okay, and my last question, Stevie. It's not a Stevie mm. question. It's just a question for Stevie. Who likes milk more, Hans Landa or you and your in-laws?
1: Well, it's such a tough thing because, like, the way Hans Landa chugs and enjoys that milk is the way I chug and enjoy my milk. The biggest difference is Hans Landa isn't running for a bathroom immediately after he does so. So, I mean, there's a mutual love there. It's just he can... Go through life normally drinking
4: He's milk. Got where that I have to direct line straight from the cows, though. I have to
1: really, I have to really plan out my milk drinking like ahead of time. Stevie, let's thing.
2: be fair. He sticks his cigarette butt into most of the cream and doesn't really chow down on it. He knows his limitations, man. <sighs> we could take a what note. A
1: waste of food though. It looks so delicious. <laughs> I know it
2: looked
8: delicious. Oh
1: my gosh! That's all I got. Cl- It looked like Remy and Linguini prepared that thing. It looked amazing. Uh, Fucking Nazi.
8: Yeah, the strudel looks like one of the best all-time movie foods on screen. (laughs) It looks so tasty.
1: Josh, I have a question for you. Let's do it. We know that Lieutenant Aldo Rain is a (laughs) direct descendant of Jim Bridger, but, like, (laughs) Did you love how, like, southern and folksy he was when they're surrounding the Nazis, like, during, like, you know, pretty much their first scene surrounding, you know, Warner and the other two guys? I think one of my favorite lines of the entire movie is when he's, like, pointing to the map, and he goes, I don't know if you know this or not, but we're in the Nazi-killing business, and cousin business is a boom. (laughs) Like... I was like, "Do you think Quentin's writing is like really? I think Quentin's writing is great throughout the entire movie. I think it's like his dialogue is really good in this scene, particularly."
2: I love it when he also like references his family's like moonshine business at one point, and there's like a lesson (laughs) in there that he's like, "Everyone knows this moonshine
8: lesson."
7: You know where I'm from? Yeah, where's that exactly?
8: Maynerville, Tennessee. I done my share of bootlegging up there. If you engage in what the. Federal government calls illegal activity, but what we call just a man trying to make a living for his family selling a little moonshine liquor. It behooves oneself to keep his wits. Long story short, we hear a story too good to be true. It ain't.
2: And then my other, I think one of the most like memorable lines from this movie is literally just Brad Pitt saying "Bonjour, no." <laughs> and like his southernness just bleeds <laughs> yeah. through his Italian suit so hard.
3: A <laughs> sehr talentierter Kameramann,
1: Antonio Margheriti, and Antonio's Kameraassistent, Dominique De Coco. signor questo è un vecchio amico mio, colonello Hans della SS.
4: Buongiorno. His jaw is so like protrudes out. Yeah, it's like a Popeye. It looks like freaking Popeye.
2: He's doing that little like tobacco nose. What is it called? Snus or snuff or something? This whole movie. S- snuff, yeah,
4: yeah. It, he he looks like Billy Bob Thornton in Sling Blade. I mean, that's like Yes, Brett. What well, he's doing like the I like the way you talk with his mouth all jacked up, but it, it works for
1: him.
4: <laughs>
2: Brett's getting ready for subjective <laughs> trivia coming up.
4: And I didn't mean to make fun of a handicap person on that movie you guys know what i meant you're good brett i love i loved world war ii it's
2: usually on a (laughs) quote like that from brett that we go into our yes or nos Um, (laughs) (laughs) our yes or no segment jesse and audience who may be just listening to our podcast for the first time is each host will give a yes or no binary rating for this movie it'll go something like this hello i'm josh from goshen I give this movie a yes. That's why I picked it. I freaking love this movie. It might just be Quentin Tarantino's masterpiece. It is so egotistical that he says that, but his movies are just like chock full of that kind of stuff. So if you don't like a director like being meta every once in a while, you probably won't like QT's films all that much, but I don't know. Um, love this movie. Huge Yes. Let's keep going in the same order we've been going in all night, Pappy. What do you say?
3: Yeah, this is Pappy. Definite, definite yes uh, for Inglorious Bastards. I would even say top tier, Tarantino. I mean, it's it's this. I mean, nothing's gonna touch Jackie Brown for me probably ever. But Jackie Brown, this Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I could, you know, I, I was telling Stevie too. You could say any Tarantino movie is your favorite Tarantino movie. And I wouldn't be that surprised from coming from anybody. It's like, Oh yeah, I could see how that could be someone's favorite, but I I love the story. I love the way this is edited. I love the cathartic nature of the tension and the release that we talked about. Um, I love Brad Pitt's chin. Like we talked about, yeah, just a good, a good time with the movies, a good celebration of, you know, not, not necessarily a celebration of cinema, but a good celebration of like what Tarantino can bring to the table with the screenplay. Is it his masterpiece? I, I don't know that's tough to say I guess he has one more movie in him this one last thing too watching this this 10 movie thing is so stupid I hope he doesn't stop making movies he's less than 60 years old he's born a month after my mom just keep making movies just you have at least a couple more masterpieces in you Tarantino but this movie definite hard yes
2: Jesse let's throw you into the mix
5: and Glorious Bastards is an absolute yes Let's I go. like it now even more. Sorry,
2: I was just cheering for your yes. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're cheering. Sorry, for I got. Yeah, I, let's th- go. <laughs> I thought you all no. laughed.
5: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it it's an absolute yes. I think that it's a better movie now in retrospect. I I feel like I underrated it when I first saw it. I think that. I wasn't quite hip to what it was saying. Like it didn't. I liked. I liked it. It didn't like super resonate with me. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was like this huge masterpiece. And for me, it kind of unlocked and let me relax on some of the sort of hangups I had about Tarantino. And watching Inglorious Bastards again, I thought that like it got. It was a really, really good movie and a, and a really good attempt at sort of establishing this large point that he's been making. Which is this idea of like the relationship between history, memory, and cinema. And how movies can actually like give you new things to think about uh, that replace the horrors of what we've actually experienced.
2: I really like that review a lot, Jesse. Thank you.
1: Stevie, you're up. Uh, yeah, you kind of mentioned it. This is my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. And he is my favorite director. I absolutely love this movie. I think the dialogue is incredible. Um, it is cathartic. You know, the idea of two and a half hours of Nazis getting their heads blown off is pretty awesome, especially <laughs> by Jewish soldiers. I think that's pretty awesome, too. And, you know, I watched Dirty Dozen and, you know, 78 and Glorious Bastards this week, preparing for this pod. And this movie is a fantastic meld between the two. Uh, little tidbit here. Do you guys remember uh, Robert Downey's character from uh, Tropic Thunder? <laughs> <laughs> Lincoln Osiris? Well, that character is based off Fred Williamson's, like, one of the main characters from 78's *Glorious Bastards. Watch that movie. It's really good. But, I mean, this is my favorite Brad Pitt performance. Uh, and, yeah, just an uh, absolutely incredible movie. Hard, hard yes. Brent
4: Oh uh, yeah, I would say it's a hard yes. This is probably one of those movies that I might even en- I probably enjoy more the second time around because I know what happens. Like the stress was becoming a lot to me. It's kind of like the that scene in Boogie Nights where Josh and I were kind of talking about. We were cringing uh, when he's at the drug dealer's house. That's kind of like that for me. Like it'll be easier and easier watch second time around. Mm-hmm. I think this will be an easier watch for me and a more enjoyable. I mean, it's not like I I didn't enjoy it. Obviously, I thought it was awesome. But taking the surprise out of it uh, will definitely do me good the second time around. Because I actually checked my heartbeat at one point.
7: Whoa. And it was
4: like like, 40 (laughs) beats higher than it was like five minutes earlier on my watch.
6: What's (laughs) the (laughs) big one.
5: Yeah.
4: No, not quite there. But yeah, so yeah, it's definitely best for me. Yeah. In
5: terms of my accelerated heartbeat, it was chapter three. Kylo...
6: Yes, so this is Corey, Kylo Ren memes. I'm going to give this a hard yes. Uh, a lot has been said already, so I can't really add too much. But, I mean, obviously it's a well-execution of tension, acting, uh, story, merging of stories. Uh, it, and it can be fun, and it's funny. It, it has a lot of things that I like in a movie. It's just good. That's a bingo. Yes.
2: Mikey, it's been the longest since you've gotten to pick a movie, so that's why you've been last in all these lists tonight. Sorry, I just wanted to bring that up. Do you give this a yes or a no?
8: Uh, Thanks for that little twist of the knife there, Josh. That was a great little factoid you brought up of my dry streak. Uh, But yeah, I think this is a rock hard yes. I love this movie so much, and... It just does tension so well, uh, and it's just a great example in that first scene. It always makes my palms so sweaty watching that scene. I hadn't watched this movie in so long, and coming back to it and seeing that first scene again really made me so anxious watching it, but it's a great movie. I love it a lot. I love Brad Pitt's performance. It's just over the top and crazy, but uh, it's a great movie. I love it. I can't say a bad thing about any QT movie, so it's a hard, hard yes for me. That makes it
2: preserved. We haven't asked this question in a long time, but Jesse, what kind of food does that make it? Six yeses, preserved. What kind of food is that?
4: (laughs) I think we know.
5: What kind of food does that make it? (laughs) What kind of food, man?
2: Uh,
4: We always,
5: like, say, like... The
2: glorious bastards were a food. Yeah.
5: If it were a food, I don't know a rich a rich uh, German pasta sauce or something. I, I, I don't we, know. Is there is there such a I think thing? Got to go with strudel with cream Strudel is the winner here. Oh, all right, <laughs> all right. Could there right, be right. like a, a scotch or
2: whiskey reference to here? <laughs> strudel is a very good call. Are you all ready for trivia? Jesse, you sticking around for trivia? Right? I was hoping you would. Yeah, okay. for sure. So here's what we're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna go keep going in that same order we've been going in all night. But we're going to do a bunch of like mini over unders. So, Pappy, you'll go first, and this will kind of be the just like guinea pig. uh, Just doing it with you will kind of explain to everyone else like how this works. It's pretty simple here. Okay. So, the first question Mm -hmm. is a script note How many times in the script is the word Nazi written? So that's the question, and what you can do is you can choose a number, and then Stevie, who goes next, can choose over or under. If you lose that, you're out, right? Okay. Oh. So, like, so the Otis is Stevie. This, can, I pick
3: a number, and then it's up to Stevie. You can
2: choose what you want to do, okay? But I will say, mm. whoever's picking the number gets help from Jesse. You can collaborate with Jesse if you want. Oh, okay. So let's let's try this out, Pappy. Um, Number of times Nazi is written, and if you, yeah, if you if Stevie beats you, you're out. And if not, like Stevie can't get out this round,
3: is what I'm trying to say. He's safe no matter what. So Jesse, my gut instinct was like 250. Do
5: you think that sounds about right? Uh, So we're talking about written in the screenplay or said in the film. Oh, written, oh, written in the screenplay. What's the question? Okay, so we'll assume that it's in the screenplay. How m- uh, yeah, at least two hundred.
3: Okay, I'm gonna say at least once per page, right? So I'm I would say two hundred twenty-five. So,
2: Stevie, you are not able to collaborate with Jesse. 255 to get Pappy out. Is it over or under that?
3: 225. 225. Sorry, 225.
2: Did, okay, sorry. Yeah. sorry. Um, Goddamn Nazis. <laughs> Nazis, Nazis yeah. Not how many times it was said in this podcast, but in the screenplay. I'll
1: say under.
2: The actual number when I pressed Command F was 110. Official. This is via oh, yes. IMSDB. Because there's so
1: many scenes with Nazis. You don't have to say it as
8: much when you're just showing them. Is yeah, that- they don't go around saying, <laughs> "Hello, fellow Nazis. <laughs> How do you do, fellow Nazis?" Steve Buscemi,
3: meme.
1: Yeah. Uh, okay, Pappy, I'm
2: out. you are out. Sorry. Sorry, dude. Stevie, you're oh, now us. This is a setup by Jesse. How many on-screen I- deaths I like are there? This is according to listofdeaths.fandom.com.
1: Oh, no, you picked the right the question because I researched this one for tonight, so there you go. <laughs> it's 396, Josh. <laughs> Do you want to collaborate with Jesse at all? Nope. No, you
2: don't need it's my answer, Regis. Okay, so Mikey, or sorry, Brett, <laughs> over or under?
4: No. Push
2: (laughs) There's no push That is not the number listofdeaths.fandom.com
1: has Mm. Not the number I got Mm. I said specifically
2: Uh, it's from this list Under The actual number Is 533 Far more So Stevie
0: (gasps) You're safe (laughs) Let's go He he
4: gets super wrong and he gets to go ahead That's cool Let's go!
5: A whole movie theater plus. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot of folks. Okay, Brett.
1: I was lied to, Josh. I researched that one specifically because you were hosting.
2: Uh, different sites do have mm. different things. That's why I specifically said this, the site for that one. So that's cool. That's but I've been trying to cite my sources lately. Screen rant, you lied to me. <laughs> or a <laughs> right, uh, list of deaths lied to me. So Eric Clapton, Ooh. besides for his... <laughs> Eric Clapton act. How many associated acts are there via his wiki? So, bands or groupies in... Associated acts? Yes. So, remember, you can choose a number or you can have Kylo pick a number and then you say higher or lower.
4: Okay, uh... I'll have Kylo pick it.
2: Okay, Kylo,
6: since you're picking the number, you get Jesse's collaboration. Could you rephrase that or repeat it? I did not understand. That was a weird question.
4: I know exactly what you mean because I look at Wikipedia all the time.
6: Via Wikipedia,
2: Eric Clapton is in this many, quote, associated acts. So they're groups, bands, recording, album outfits that aren't Eric Clapton that he's in, part of.
6: Yeah that he is currently right. in or has been in in his life has trips. ever been ever been associated, ever been associated ever been. with you big uh, clapton guy jesse <laughs>
5: <laughs> not really but i know he's been in a bunch that's of that's good
6: <laughs> what do you think the answer is i would say nine i'm gonna round it up and go with ten
4: over
2: Corey, you are safe because the number is ten and I just think this goes oh, wow. to show what? Eric wow. Clapton just really can't keep a steady thing going. Can't really get along with anyone. He's kind of a dick. Uh, Mikey or Kylo, you are
3: up. Uh, we all- ten associated acts, zero people of color. Weird how that looks out Eric Clapton. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. That's not actually Please Clapton.
2: True. That's not true. Please Clapton. Wait, what happened? So Brett is out. I don't. I didn't. I didn't I'm expect out, right? that yeah. to happen. Okay. Sorry, Kyle, this is your time to shine here. So I am in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee and Maynardville, Tennessee, where Brad Pitt's character is from, is a real place. How many miles do you think I am right now where I sit in the mountains from Maynardville, Tennessee?
3: Trivia has just become how far am I from this place? (laughs) (laughs) It's one question
6: of many. really uh, testing my knowledge here, Josh. Remember you can choose someone you can
2: choose Mikey to choose the number, right? And you say higher or lower. That didn't work out too well. Let's give it to Mikey. (laughs) Okay, Mikey you can use Jesse's help here. Pigeon Forge, Tennessee to Maynardville, Tennessee. How many miles?
8: Uh Just judging by your Wi-Fi connection this <laughs> podcast, I'm going to guess <laughs> you are in the deep, deep <laughs> woods of uh, wherever the hell you are. Um, I'll say, I'll say, I'll say uh, 400 miles.
4: I'll say, I'll say, I'll say
6: more. All right, Kylo. I think it's going to be less than that. That's, that seems like a lot. I think it's
2: going to be less than yeah. that. Jesse, you're not allowed to collaborate with Kyle at this, Kylo, right now. But yes, that is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Kylo, stay alive. Mikey, your question How many credits does Quentin Tarantino have if you add together his director credits and his writer credits at this moment on IMDb? So that does include, I will say, like the in the works projects that you know are always like
6: at the top of directors' lists and television
8: shows I would only know I would only know 10 for directing his movies I'm sure he's working on the 10th and 10 for writing his movies and then the one extra writing for his past I'll say 21 (laughs) okay so (laughs) that's all I
2: know so it goes back to Stevie
4: (sighs) I'll say higher gotta be way higher
2: 21 Director's credits, 30 writing credits. So it's 51. Let's go. Mikey, you're out. Stevie, we're back to you and we're back up to script notes. How many times is Hitler written in the screenplay? Do you want to choose the number or the higher or lower?
1: How many times is he written in the screenplay? Yeah, the
2: word Hitler.
1: I'll, I'll do. Uh, higher or lower? Okay. Brett. Son of a bitch.
2: Brett, you can work with Jesse and choose a number here. Times Hitler is written in the screenplay.
6: Oh, is Brett still in? No, I'm out. Oh,
2: sorry. Yep, yep, yep. Goes to
6: Kylo. My bad. You know my my notes. They're always terrible. Oh, okay. Well, again, son of a bitch. Uh, Jesse, what do you think? <laughs> um, I would say if Nazis was only
5: said of 110 times then Hitler was probably said about 60 times. That would be my ballpark.
6: Okay. I don't remember hearing Hitler that many times. Um, So that's... But remember, this is a screenplay, so you also have to add up his lines of dialogue. Indeed. Okay, I'll go with your answer. You said 60? Yeah. I'm going to go with that then. You're right, because every time it's written down when he's going to talk or whatever.
2: Stevie, to stay alive... And actually, if you miss this, game goes to Kylo. Oh,
1: this is fun. Does fear count or no? Just Hitler. I'll say less. The word Hitler.
2: I'll say less. Stevie, you're sticking alive. It's 41
5: times. Whoa.
2: I like the logic there from Jesse, though. That was a good guess. Let's go. It's a really good guess. Okay, Kylo, your question. Since this movie is all about dead Nazis, how many dead Nazis... So that includes uh, how many German soldiers dead and missing by the end of World War II.
4: Not enough. <laughs> okay, so I'm
2: still in? Yeah, that was just Stevie's question. I thought he was No, not. that was your question, right, Stevie?
4: Oh, I'm so confused.
6: So how many Nazis died mm-hmm. in World War II? Yep, and you can choose the number of the higher or lower. I'll go with the higher or lower because I have no fucking
2: idea. All right, Stevie, you work with Jesse. So this is this is Kylo's turn, right? And you're safe no matter what, Stevie.
1: I'm safe no matter what. Yes, but okay. but work with Jesse um, or just
2: figure out a number. Dead Nazis.
1: I didn't Russia suffer the most casualties in World War II. I believe so. Uh-uh.
5: Yeah, <clears throat> but that's that's civilian and military.
1: Okay, this is just Nazis. Yeah,
5: yeah. Oh,
1: I mean, I'm, I'll say two hundred thousand. I have no clue.
2: Kylo, to stay alive, more four point three million dead, three point one dead actually, and one point two missing. One point, I like to think one point two million found their Shoshanos. Just joking. I mm. hope they all died.
5: Yeah, it would, be, <laughs> it would be a big number because there was, like, forced enlistment. Right. And Project Paperclip.
1: Was it Nazis or German officers? Because weren't, like, not all German officers, not Nazis? No, they're
5: all Nazis.
1: They weren't all SS. I,
5: I read it as, I interpreted the question as soldiers.
1: They're all in the Nazi party, so. Gotcha.
5: Come on, Stevie.
1: Dude, you're asking the wrong dude. But you
2: are up, Stevie. Um, I since we talked about strangulation earlier, how many minutes does it actually take for a person to experience brain death? Strangulation. Do you want to choose a number or choose that higher or lower?
1: Um,
6: I'll do higher or lower. Okay,
2: Kylo, working with Jesse.
6: What do you think, Jesse? What's your experience? Have you ever strangled Jesse, someone? You're a big brain death guy?
5: <laughs> no. <clears throat> no.
6: I would guess that it's pretty quick, like in a minute and a half or 2 minutes. Hmm. I was thinking longer. For brain death? I'm I'm going to go with my gut instinct of 4 minutes. Stevie, to stay
2: alive, is it higher or lower than 4 minutes?
1: well what if I think okay can I I phrase this run me through your thought process here yeah
2: this is for the win so yeah
1: okay my thought process is um (sighs) my process was three to six minutes but then Kylo said four and now I'm terrified (laughs) uh
6: if you beat me you'll find
1: out can it be like four minutes and higher
2: That would be choosing higher. Okay, yeah, I'll say higher. So it's so funny you answer that because the answer is four to five minutes. So my answer (laughs) is four and a half minutes, like technically. That's what I was looking for. So you do win that. Corey was talking about strangulation here. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I want to do that question. It's kind of gross. It's about the Boston strangulation. I'm just going to go ahead and delete that. Oh. Boston Strangler murdered X many people. Scranton Strangler. Um, okay, so we talked about <laughs> Tarantino's credits earlier. Okay. Let's talk about, how do you pronounce his name? Goebbels, the propaganda guy from Nazis. Goebbels. Goebbels. Goebbels? Yes. Goebbels. So how many producer credits Goebbels. does Gobble Gobble have? Kyler, how many what credits? How many producer credits does he have? Producing and you credits. can choose the number, the higher, or lower. What do you want to do here?
6: All right. We got a movie question. Um, So, oh, I can't use Jesse. Oh, shit. No, you Um, can
2: if if you want to go the number route. You can use Jesse.
6: All right, Jesse, work with me. I'm going to choose a number. Producer credits for Goebbels.
5: Um, Jesse, you a big Goebbels guy for movie movies that he produced through UFA, which was the studio that the German film studio that I think was under his control for when, a while. Wait, wait, I wait, would wait. Say maybe thirty. I want to oh, just what? put
2: this caveat. This is when I type in IMDb his name, and he ha- he's listed. He's on IMDb, yes, and he has yeah. he has this many oh. film producer credits via
5: IMDb. Okay, so we're not we're not counting the studio he ran. We're counting
6: his name on the movie credits kind of. Thing. So it might be more than that you're saying, right?
5: Mm, I don't know. I if it if we're just counting producer credits for him, I would bet it would be maybe 25.
6: I'll go with 25. I'm good with that. That's a guess.
2: Stevie, you know what to do. Higher or lower?
1: Oh higher or lower oh I'm picking higher or lower than twenty yeah, five. So this is to knock out Kylo. Twenty-five seems high. That seems like Bruckheimer numbers. I'll say lower.
2: I'm double checking this right now. You're looking at it right now too. What's it say? Yeah. Back me up on this two. one, Brett. Two. Two. What?
1: <laughs> credits,
5: mm. Amateur status. Recount credits.
2: Burning Hearts and Amateur Durf Status. Humor.
5: Wow. I thought he was more productive than that. So that's amazing. <laughs> one, of them, yeah, one of them wasn't even credited.
2: I love that we can finish this pod he making sucked. fun of go- go- Goebbels just a little bit more. That makes me really happy.
3: Such a crybaby.
2: I'm going to go ahead and toss it over to Spoiler Man to read our reads. And then we'll come back to Stevie choosing the next movie. Is that okay, everybody? Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's yeah. Go. Yeah.
6: Special thank you to our patrons. Matt Troll At ease here, Cox. Drink. Brother Brian
5: If you offered me a scotch and plain water, I could drink a scotch and plain water.
6: Druid
7: King
5: That a boy, Lieutenant. Make it yourself like a good chap, will you? Nick The bars and the glare.
7: The Meg
5: Something for yourself, sir? David Whiskey. Straight. No junk in it.
3: Nurse Stacy
4: And I want my scalps!
3: If you'd like to request an episode, hear your name read by Spoiler Man, or even just help us make podcasts,
8: please check us out on patreon.com slash Good to
2: be back with you all. Thanks for sticking around to the very end of the episode before Stevie picks the next film. We will review Pappy. Great news. We have another iTunes review. Would you be so kind as to read that for us?
3: This is from Dan (laughs) Brancan. Who has a better story than Dan (laughs) Brancan? Five stars. The subject. I drink your Corona. (laughs) Dom De Lewis. Uh, This is the body. Best ad lib one liner I've heard yet. Had me dying, I almost crashed on a road trip. Well, drive carefully, Dan Brancan. You don't want to be Dan Brancan the broken over there uh <laughs> worth it these guys are the most genuine hilarious dudes in the podcast game right now their conversations always feel like i'm there would kill to be a part of their podcast one day but i wouldn't start my own because all i do is listen to these guys anyways keep up the good work we'll be subscribing on patreon school oh, yeah. soon we'll be subscribing on patreon soon well dan Brandcan, can a little guy named kylo ren memes aka Corey. <laughs> One, started a podcast after you to us. And look at him now. We podcast with them all the time. So, listen. He's on the podcast. <laughs> if you start a podcast, Dan Brancan, I promise, one, one of us will come on it. And two, you can come on our podcast for sure. And if you have any questions on uh, things that we've learned the hard way, feel free to slide into our DMs in any of the ways Spoiler Man just told us. But that's a really nice... We can t- tell you how to fail. Yeah. yeah, It is very
4: nice. We're sorry to uh, Dom DeLuise's family for the pronunciation of his name. Uh, as Dom DeLuis, so we're sorry about <laughs> oh, that. Oh, yeah, sorry, Dom
3: DeLuis, <laughs> not Dom DeLuis, but yeah, great Dom, review.
4: No, Dom DeLuis. Super nice review,
3: you, and
2: we'd love to have more Apple iTunes reviews. Um, actually, one of my questions, if we got to it, was how many ratings do we have? But I'll save that
3: trivia question for a later podcast. Stevie? <laughs> quick quick note on that, though. We, we did... Just lose our five star to overall rating on iTunes. We were five <laughs> stars for five years. We're down to four dot eight, boys. So if you could smash oh. that five star button, at least get us to a four. We're a four nine man for sure. <laughs> at least that's yeah, at that's least. probably where we should be. That's probably about right. Stevie, what's
2: what's the next thing coming down the pipe oh. for us? <laughs>
1: Uh, as far as movie to pick for yeah, next time? what you going to do, buddy? Okay, yeah. I'm excited. So um, we're not going to be in the Americas. We're going to go over to Indonesia. This is one of my favorite action films of all time. Uh, it's absolutely incredible. Trent Edwards, I think, should direct every action movie that um, the director for Mad Max Free Road isn't. And we're going to do The Raid Redemption. Nice. Is that a sequel or anything like that? It's a long story, it's not a sequel, it's the first one. Okay.
4: Cool. Yeah. (laughs) Raid Dade Redemption. Got it. Yep.
2: All right. Well, thanks for listening to spoilers. I hope this podcast was a little bit cathartic for you. Jesse, before we toss out (laughs) to Spoiler Man, uh, where can we find you on social media? And again, can you plug your podcast for our listeners?
5: Absolutely. I am Jesse Hawken on Twitter and I am also running the Junk Filter Pod podcast. That's our name on Twitter. Junk Filter Pod. Great
3: podcast. I'm a big fan.
5: Thank you so much, more guys. More importantly, can you plug our podcast on your stuff? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell? I, I will absolutely plug my appearance on your podcast, gentlemen.
1: Shameless,
3: Brett. Jesus. <laughs> oh, my That's God. That's the more importantly. Arrogant <laughs> question from Brett. <laughs> You're, it's your show. You can be arrogant. <laughs> Go ahead.
2: Thanks again to all our Patreon members. We love you especially. Take it away, spoiler man.
7: Ooh, that's a bingo. <laughs> Is that the way you say it? That's a bingo.
8: You just say bingo. Bingo!
4: Have fun!
8: (laughs) That was spoilers.